The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Save our wildlife. Save the environment. Save our world. It all starts with a little knowledge. Welcome to Our Wild World with Ellie Weiss. There is so much that's being done and can be done with help from specialists and marginalized community groups to you. We'll discuss the future of Africa, the wildlife, and the people, and show you how it affects the entire planet. Now, here is Ellie Weiss from the Wild Eyes Foundation. Good morning and welcome to Our Wild World. When you break it down, that's actually a pretty big sentence. When you take a closer look, there is a whole lot that encompasses what makes up our wild world. And that's our topic for today. Holism. The whole. Holistic. Spelled with a W, not just simply an H, is one of my favorite topics as it eventually encompasses everything. From the tiniest detail that could save your life or an entire species, or the esoteric cloud that is the great all. Call it what you will. Mother Nature, the Creator, God, the expressions of life, the universe. That which holds all that we know and that which may always remain unknowable. The concept of the whole, when you think about it, any whole, is very, very big, convoluted, and complex. Even if it's on a cellular level, its size is relative to its parts, are yet still almost unimaginable in scope, thus often difficult to think about in its entirety. So, in order to do so, we must reduce it into smaller parts to enable us the ability to understand all these complexities and wrap our minds around it. So as I started out, this is a subject that I spend a lot of time thinking about. So I'm going to wander back and forth along my ponderings and gatherings from a wide variety of information and try and make some sense out of it all and put it together to add my two cents worth into the tally of the whole of just how important this paradigm shift toward holism has become to lead us forward in this unprecedented time in our lives, our whole lives, and our whole world, and our whole future is at stake. If you'd like to participate in this discussion, please call in to 1-866-472-5788 or send me an email to wildeyes, W-I-L-D-I-Z-E, at wildeyes.org. So, what is the other side of holism? It's reductionism. Reducing that which exists or which we see and learn down into its smallest parts, taking it apart piece by piece down to its subatomic level, which can only be measured with complex technology, towards some sort of understanding that will help us answer all the questions of how and why the world works, as we seek to know the whole. But what have we learned here? 
is that we know the parts very well, but have lost sight of the meaningful relationships between these parts and why they become a functioning whole. We do not need to reverse two millennia of scientific progress and go back to a time where we did not seek to understand how things work. It's like the philosophical question of six blind men, each describing part of an elephant. We need the whole, the knowing that there is the the elephant, to clue the blind men in that they are all describing a part of the whole elephant. They are all participating in a part of the same thing that wholeness, and from there to understand how each part works toward the function of the whole, that an elephant works despite how much or how little we know about its parts. For the past 50 to 100 years, we've been heading along a steep learning curve of discovery along the reductionist paradigm. That is, we've been taking our world apart, from the discovery of DNA and the human genome to naming the elements from which life on Earth is comprised, to knowing the alphabet of vitamins and minerals and amino acids that are known to have particular effects on other particular aspects of the whole. We have, in our recent history, made reductionism our very economic and fundamental cornerstones. The millennia of natural processes and evolution turned into mega-corporate and industrialized processing, and supposedly this is all for our benefit. Really? Is it working? Or is this reductionist worldview more likely to benefit the few? What is the whole? We could simply say that it is all that we know, but that would still fall far short as it doesn't account for that which we have yet to learn. Reductionism and its opposing worldview, holism, are two lenses that represent a fundamental division in consciousness more now than at any other time in our modern society. Reductionism and the path it has taken us along has influenced the way we think about the connections between us and everything else, including the way we look at disease, food, and all the other living systems and all the other things that are not us, or what we, and for that for which we need for our immediate lifestyle and our quest for success as recognized by culture. We daily face a whole host of challenges, decisions to make from the moment of waking to going to sleep. We see this as a natural continuum of moments, a series of whole yet separate steps to be taken along the way. And together, each of these myriad actions will eventually accomplish something, some overarching goal and thus our whole. But is this really what is happening? As we reduce the whole down into ever smaller parts, are we perhaps losing sight of that which is greater because of the sum of all of its parts? From food to lifestyles and cultures, let's look at the whole idea. What does it look like and where can it lead us and how do we get and and that how we get there is important. Holism has typically been spelled with an H, H H-O-L-I-S-M, without the W, and thus has been defined as the theory of that parts of a whole that are in intimate interconnection, such as they cannot exist independently of the whole, or cannot be understood without reference to the whole, which is thus regarded as greater than the sum of its parts. As defined in most dictionaries, Holism, with an H, is often applied to mental states, language, and ecology, or in medicine, it is the treating of the whole person, taking into account mental and social factors rather than just the physical symptoms of a disease. 
or, as in whole food, taking into consideration how an apple is more than just a collection of vitamins and minerals and amino acids, that it is the apple itself that is the food, and that it is and functions as more than its broken-down set of nutrients. The origin of the word holistic with an H uh, dates from the 1920s, uh, stemming from the word holo, H-O-L-O, meaning whole, plus ism, which turns it uh, into an active, uh, act, actionable item. It was coined by J.C. Smuts to designate the tendency in nature to produce organized wholes, that is, bodies or organisms, from the ordered grouping of units. The trouble with spelling holism without the W is it tends to refer one to having a religious meaning, that of holy, coming from the secular and uh, the religious, or that it is an airy fairy tale-like belief system. This spelling over the long term, that is spelling it without the W, has kept the concept of holism out there, away from us, on the fringe, as opposed to a reality shift of perspective and a new paradigm. What many contemporary scientists, physicians, authors, researchers, and general public are proposing is a rethinking of holism, spelling with a W. We are shining a light on the paradigm that is being shifted, that from fringe or secular to that of a huge shift in looking at the challenges and finding new solutions. This is known as the paradigm shift. Let's not, however, confuse holism with one-size-fits-all. That would be a dire mistake, for it does not recognize that the parts of each system are uniquely working together, providing form and function that are also unique to each system. But it is how we define the parts and, and assign import to specific aspects of one another that separates out or reduces the whole into its many coordinated parts, which are then often thro thrown back together willy-nilly without regard to the whole and its full functionality for the expedience of agendas, industry, and profits. If it helps to visualize this, put it into your mind's eye, a bubble bath. Each of the bubbles are whole systems, yet each bubble also stands alone. Um, but alone, by itself, a bubble is simply an anomaly, an outlier, by which it is difficult to determine, to determine the role it plays. But together, all these bubbles form a system that function and plays a role that fits into the larger scheme of things, in this case, the bubble bath. So the whole idea here is relaxation, cleanliness, and feeling good. The whole point of the bath being much more than just groupings of individual bubbles. Now, imagine the universe is full of these bubbles, each precious in itself, but also a part of the bigger picture. People, you and me, wildlife, schools, children, the environment, our cities, our farms, our governments, the many varied cultures and industries, on and on and so, far, so forth, are each a bubble in the whole system, and each bubble is whole by itself. All these bubbles share the spaces between us, even the invisible spaces that connect us and ripple throughout the whole, bringing it ever closer together and vibrating amongst its systems.
Perhaps you remember, here's another visual, and perhaps you remember the very end of the first Men in Black movie, when after the credits, the graphics continue with a huge alien hand that picks up many marbles. And if you'll recall, the universe that was being looked for in this, uh, the plot of this movie was contained in a, a marble uh, around the collar of a cat's neck. So the whole concept here was that the universe was very small, and uh, at the end, this huge hand picks up all these marbles in a marble game playing field, and one of them is the universe. So the size of the whole is not necessarily the important part. It is how the whole works as a sum of its parts. The concept of holism, like, let's say, the concept of conservation, should not be viewed as an agenda by the few, but as a model for the many, to scale up and scope and fit to the challenge at hand. And that right there is a shift in thinking, another paradigm shift. As our earth sciences and biological sciences have grown immensely due to our technological advances, we have been able to take the reductionist road down a stunning array of in-depth avenues, all the way down to the particle levels, which has led us to understand the what of just about any given earthly thing, how it ticks or how it's made, from the human genome to the chemical basis of what makes an apple. But hold on a minute. Is all this reductionism helping us, or is it becoming more like Alice in Wonderland, Wonderland, filled with one rabbit hole after another, that you can reduce down into ever smaller and smaller, smaller parts? What relationship does it have to the whole? And we do often get so far down that rabbit hole that we can no longer see the whole, that where we started and why it's something important to begin with, thus, it is what Excuse me, that it, thus, it is what we are learning, really the best use of our time, resources, and yes, our budgets. Here we are again, up against that proverbial line in the sand. New understandings, facts, and data that challenge the current constructs, forcing us to relook at the whole and what it is, and therein lies the paradigm shift. And we've been talking about the paradigm shift a lot over the course of our wild world. First of all, in defining whole, it is very important to understand our terms and the premise and parameters of scope. What are the general assumptions? And based upon what presumptions? What is the outer, for that matter, the inner boundary? How big or how small are the common de denominators? See what I mean? We can practice reductionism to infinity, but there comes a point when you must go back to the whole where you started. In looking at the whole, we determine what questions to ask in the first place, or to what becomes consensus. This is the basic tenet of science as we know it today. We break everything down to its parts, and that has, got, and that has gotten us pretty far. A host of understandings about how our world works, and that we would never know without the help of microscopes, quantum physics, and leaps in understanding, and thus research development of anything from computers to, 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 to new medicines. There's an old story that gets to the heart of how paradigms work. There are these two young fish swimming along, and they happen to meet an older fish swimming the other way, who nods at them and says, Morning, boys. How's the water? And the two young fish swim on for a bit, and then eventually one of them looks over at the other and goes, What the hell is water? Right there is a paradigm shift. When you're inside the paradigm, it is very difficult to see outside. 
The trouble with paradigms is that they are great, big, huge comfort zones. They are, are generally accepted by overall consensus operating systems. We don't notice we're in one until we notice it's shifting. That uncomfortable place that puts you sitting square on the fence as the landscape beneath you shifts, the world around you tilts, and there it is, the crack of a paradigm shifting, a ray of sunshine, a summer cloudburst, an epiphany that there is something much, much larger at work, magnificent clarity that there is so much more at work than that which meets our eye, and how the fabric of life fits together, and that the tremendous diversity of it all, from dust motes and butterfly thoughts, are what makes the whole of life, of everything, each individual body within the whole, so electrifying. The whole of the planet that is made of billions of particles and species, small and large and gigantic, that we humans are just a particle of. So, at some point, we small humans had to reduce these megawatt thoughts, sites and resources into scale and scope of smaller bites we could handle. From understanding how to feed ourselves, to understanding to how to survive the elements of shifting geology in time, to learning how the mechanics of not only our bodies, but the earth, earth around us works, to learning how to wreak, uh, wreak complete destruction of our world. Reductionism. And we've been reducing our world into smaller and smaller parts ever since. We have our whole cosmos, universe, species, and individual bodies and organisms made of billions of parts, from the minuscule and sing singular to the major and multifunctional, without which our blood and oxygen couldn't move throughout our systems, pumping the air we breathe from this whole planet around us. The whole planet functions as a body with heart, lungs, veins, temperature sensors, and functional systems, without which it could not provide the life-giving sustenance for all the various life forms that exist here, visible and invisible. So why is it we tend to think that all this magnificence boils down to a single secret that eventually will answer the big question of the theory of everything? So much has transpired and evolved from the lifetime of my grandfather to the lifetime of our teenagers today. If we look in hindsight, we'll see that the paradigm has shifted many, many times since our grandparents' time to have gotten us to where we are now, culturally, economically, and in terms of resource management. But where we are today is not where we'll be in five years from now. So on that note, we're going to head into a break. I'd love to hear from you. Please call in at 1-866-472-5788 or send me an email at wildize at wildeyes.org. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. 
Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. Welcome back. Today we're talking about the whole idea, the concept of holism. And uh, the counterpart to holism is reductionism. And uh, today, if we look at just a few samples of really big whole systems that play significant roles in the future of our ability to conserve our resources, heal our minds and bodies, and also heal the earth as well for its sake and for the sake of us and our future, we do need to reduce these aspects or break uh, the challenges, challenges that we're facing or break them out into some of their various parts. But here we're going to do that from a slightly different perspective. Up and down this conceptual line, not necessarily the linear approach by any means, and which might surprise you, in hopes that this will be a reminder of just how big the whole can be and how boggling it is thinking about all the many pieces. Reductionism does help us make sense of all the moving pieces, but it does not always help us put them back together again, especially when we have decided that the pieces are more potent economically than the security of the whole, and and we have gone about creating huge industries that are embedded in keeping the reductionist paradigm as the whole of our operating system. As we look at parts of the whole idea, it's sometimes easier to see why a functioning whole system that has fallen apart because the smaller reductionist parts start to break down or do not hold up under the weight of new information. We must also keep in mind that rarely do whole systems work in a vacuum, that these smaller whole systems, those individual bubbles that I talked about, are all the time functioning, turning, composing, decomposing, dividing, evolving, and creating the whole, and that the whole is not always knowable simply by knowing its reductionist parts. That truly is the whole of any system and that it is greater than the sum of any of its parts. So today I'm cherry picking some whole systems that we simply take for granted as integral parts of our larger functioning systems at work. Those that we might not often think of. 
But looking at the whole, as it turns out, is anything but linear. It is the reductionist mindset that makes it linear, and thus when we're stuck in a mindset, we are unable to see outside the box. Or, as Einstein so wonderfully stated, we keep looking at a problem with the same thinking that created it while expecting a different result. Within a nation and a world of ecosystems, here's one a whole functioning system, uh, sort of out of left field, we have the national parks. Yes, that's right. What makes up a national park system? The national parks in the creation was born of a system that desired to protect parts of our earth undisturbed for future generations of public citizens. When our U.S. national park system began, it was not about environmentalism, biodiversity, or planetary health. We didn't know back in the 1800s that science and biology would eventually play a very big part in how we preserve and conserve our national parks and how we manage them. When Yellowstone, the first national park that was created, was created, it was understood that its magnificent and singularity of features, landscape, wildlife, and diversity, should be set aside for the enjoyment of all future generations of people and left intact unmolested. Well, it turns out that's impossible because it is a whole, organic, complex, incomprehensible biological system. Let's look at this a bit more closely. Let's take apart the national park system, put it on the stage, hold it under the spotlight and under the microscope, and see what makes it tick. What makes up the national park system beside that which we see when we drive the interstate and back road networks of our nation and wind up at the integrate? Working in wildlife conservation, I naturally gravitate to this subject as it culminates a long journey of knowledge, a journey of looking at a part and then learning to see and understand the various parts that it is connected to and how they interplay with one another to create the whole of which it and other parts are necessary for it to function and thus critical in understanding how to find solutions that benefit not only the various parts while also benefiting the whole. The parts that make up a national park, there is the law, the judicial and federal system under the Department of Interior and the Secretary of the Interior and the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and the Endangered Species Act, all of which are guidelines as to what constitutes the forming of a national park and why it's there and who has authority. This leads to the part that functions as administration over running a park under these guidelines and international laws. Then there are other politics involved in appointing personnel between differing party lines and the role of federal government and funds for public good. Then there is the science, research, and grant funding so that there is a deeper understanding how the multitude of life forms function together that create this living e- ecosystem and that may be unique to this particular park. Then there is the public, you and me, whose tax dollars and donations help fund the federal system and pay for the upkeep and care of the park. So, right here, you can see a whole host of possibilities where singular agendas and politics are just waiting in the wings to get their two cents into and out of the national parks. Once again, we're at that point where understanding the whole system is critically important to how the system's parts will function and survive, and how they will interweave with each other to affect the overall system itself. In this case, from the visitor experience to the federal and state employees and volunteers to the polls on election day. 
And here's where paradigms collide, that of for-profit versus wholeness. You may say, wait a minute, that's not fair. You're cherry-picking two very opposing elements. But am I? This is, after all, the crux of sustainable conservation and development. What I found that I learned by this example is that all whole systems can be reduced, but at some point, goals and definitions and tactics and means will collide. And when they collide is when we have opportunities to shift the paradigm and worldview, even if that world is the size of Earth or the size of an anthill. This is the uncomfortable feeling between paradigms, which bring up untenable questions such as what species will survive? Is it pure reductionist emotionalist? It, is it pure reductionist emotionalism to say I love pandas and will do absolutely anything so they will survive and another need never die? Or apply this to lions or the blue-footed booby or the polar bear. These species are part of the whole, the whole of life. So how has it come to be that some iconic megafauna have reached their tipping points? We would think that for all the money and resources in the world, we could turn this around. It is through keeping in mind the whole picture that we are able to keep perspective of what we need to do, what we can do, and that which we need to stop doing in order to keep the whole system and its various gears, wheels, and spokes turning. The whole breaks down when we put all our weight behind one particular system and keeping it afloat, refusing to shift to a better balance point along the beam. Let's look at some other paradigm shifts that have completely changed how we view the whole. Today, here in the West, we prize individualism, competition, and extremes. Our participation pursuing these goals comes to us in many, in any number of forms, physical partaking of sports and seeking risk and extreme danger to both life and limb. This extreme aspect forms a clique of sorts, a hub of uniquely qualified individuals, our warriors. How does this conflict with our traditional warriors, the military, the soldier? How does the soldier reintegrate with the whole of society once no longer needed in physical combat and war of nations? Where does that traditional sense of the warrior fit with today's extreme sports and celebrity heroes and role models and even, yes, war? It is similar to tribalism. These clips become these cliques become a subset of the whole, and perhaps even at odds to the whole, preventing a view outside the paradigm, an inability to see where shifts have insidiously taken hold and to heal the breakdown it requires from entire populations to break through to a new paradigm, one that functions within the whole and by itself. Perhaps our concept of warriorhood does tie in with some of our current social challenges. Today, we have entire cultures whose youth has been completely indoctrinated either by physical or virtual war and violence without consequences through our media and entertainment, which is leaching out into other aspects of our culture. Lionizing the most extreme, whether it be sportsmen, less than admirable, admirable character traits because they're attached to celebrity, or even if it's a cartoon or a social outcast in terms of what would typically be acceptable. That is a paradigm shift. Some examples of this that come to mind are folks such as O.J. Simpson or Steve Irwin or Mike Tyson.
This has led to whole generations and a shifting of traditional cultural and va- cultural values to that who know, to, that know little else about survival than but how to compete for status of power or economics, which we can see by both ancient and modern history eventually lead to the breakdowns of civil society. Take a look at Ethiopia, Darfur, Congo, or Iraq and Syria, or ancient Greece and Rome. Each of these ancient paradigm shifts happened at times of many individual whole pieces coming together like a puzzle. In the epiphany, the current paradigm turns on its axis. But what physical challenges in our daily trek for survival does our Western individual have to face in our society today? Where do we put our warriors? We have industrialized our food processes, leaving behind the need to hunt, to stay sharp and alert, to survive. It doesn't take much physical prowess to hunt and gather through the grocery store aisles. Our mental capabilities for math, physics, and intellectual logic systems that were honed by millennia of conquering the elements of weather, predator, and the need to procreate aren't in quite the same immediate demand today as prehistoric man or even so recent as the human diasporas out of Africa, out of Europe, out of world wars, and either ethnic or religious persecution. Today, our competitive edge and model is based upon survival rate in the corporate infrastructure, inducing an individuated and competitive career atmosphere where getting ahead is more important than progress. The cutthroat behavior applauded and entrenched in our industrial and political complexes, which filters down into the general population as a lack of respect for each other and for the world around us, for other beings, and becomes instead just a collection of resources to be exploited, consumed, and thrown away. This reflects all relationships between all interconnected threads of the web, government to people, politicians to constituents, employers to employees, employees to the product, to the market, to the public. What does this do to the individual when the individual has no place in the whole? The examples that come to mind is our concentrated food production and agricultural practices. When we treat our resources as consumptive goods only to be exploited, are we not also dehumanizing ourselves by, by belittling the life that gives us sustenance and making it nothing more than a piece of meat? Even though we have industrialized our food processes, this doesn't mean that the psychological need for being a warrior has diminished through evolution. We call ourselves civilized, yet look at what we are doing to the whole of life around us as we go about reducing it into parts that provide for us alone. Then there is that quaint phrase we like to use when we feel people are acting inhumanely. We say they are acting like animals. However, it is difficult to find many examples in the world of animals where they go about organized destruction of each other on scales of magnitude or the wholesale slaughter or destruction of that which is different or other, other cultures, other religions, other colors, other species. I think we can all see the irony here. Through history, it is highly documented through the ages the horrors man has been able to construct to lay upon his fellow humans and other living beings in the name of religion, politics, and sports. In taking apart the whole, what have we done to each other and that which we depend upon? Here's another paradigm shift from whole to reductionism. 
Western medicine, healthcare, science, and its related fields in both human and non-human research. It seems we have somehow decided going headlong into breaking down our physical systems and continuing to seek new answers by limiting uh, these reductionist principles and going down the rabbit holes as if the answers we've already gained, which have evolved over millennia, are insufficient for our needs. We talk about the healthcare system in America. But what we really have is a disease care system. The more we spend on disease care, the sicker and more miserable we become. How we choose to heal ourselves through a shift in our understanding of limited resources and prioritize these in such a way that we benefit ourselves in longevity and through how we manage and treat these resources and the whole, many of whom have complex social systems or sentience and a creative place in the scheme of the whole. part of the web of life of creation, an unparalleled imagination that has been bestowed upon us and for which we are the custodians. If we were given the news that there was a cure for most of all our killer diseases, heart disease, cancer, obesity, substance abuse, on and on, wouldn't most of us like, be likely to say, you bet, sign me up? Well, there is. It's called holism. Whole food, whole mind, whole body, whole entire biological and incomprehensibly complex systems that interweave throughout our physical landscape, providing at every turn all that we need for healthy bodies, minds, and societies. In short, we need new ways of relating to words like health, medicine, diet, holistic, and lifestyle. New relationships to words like responsibility, community, accountability, and wealth. These are more than superficial concepts like eat a good diet, exercise, and enjoy life. There is certainly merit in these actions and statements, but for the most part, they dismiss the possibility of real change by an individual. They are politically correct, but lack specificity specificity and substance. When someone tells you, you can make a difference, it's helpful to understand how. We like some substantive quantifying aspect that tells us in some tangible scope or equation of balance that, yes, I made a difference. Another emerging paradigm shift toward holism is whole food, whole body, and whole mind. This is shifting so incredibly fast, there are entire industries cashing in on the concept, from grocery store chains to restaurants, cookbooks, and classes. In previous generations, how we ate appeared to be a personal and private matter. Our food choices didn't seem to contribute much, one way or the other, to the well-being or suffering of other people, let alone animals, plant life, and the carrying capacity of the entire planet. But even if that were ever true, it no longer is. Thus, a paradigm is in flux and shifting. We now know... Through science, reductionist and all, that holistic research that puts all these pieces of the puzzles together on the table instead of one by one under the microscope, that just like us, our living planet has its basic needs for life that keep it whole and provide for all its various forms of life. Water is the blood of life filling the rivers and oceans that create oxygen and the pulse of our planet's heart and breathing mechanisms. That all individual life forms, all life has evolved and adapted to fill a 
amazingly diverse niches that one by one they do amaze, yet often through the reductionist filter, they are not tied together to all the other amazing systems functioning along elsewhere, including us. And on that note, we head into another break and we'll be right back. So if you'd like to call in, please call 1-866-472-5788. Thank you. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. Welcome back. Today we're looking at holism and what it takes to be able to um, reduce holism down so that we can wrap our minds around some of the whole systems that make up uh, what we call the entirety or the wholeness of uh, life, universe, and everything. 
what we eat, what we do, how we educate our children into society and culture and to other cultures, how we view relationships, how we compete, and how we commune individually and collectively has repercussions far beyond our own private spheres of existence. As whole as it may seem while we are inside looking out, our singular singular body is just one of many others acting in tune or at odds with each other and the environment around us. This also brings us around to that timeless debate. Is it nature or nurture that makes us who we are? Is it in our genes and can these traits be isolated and removed from the whole without consequences? As our science branches ever forward into new spheres of discovery, also could be called new rabbit holes of reductionism, we need to remember to look back at the whole and what this piece of information tells Tells us about the vibrancy, responsiveness, flexi- and flexibility of the whole system of which it is a part. Whole body, whole mind, whole spirit, whole communities, workshops, seminars, and books have sprouted up like seeds in the garden. On the scale of the whole, there is a message here we should be listening to. There is a shift in progress, another paradigm. There is another way to see. There is another way to be. There is a host of experiences to be shared that identify a different model than the path we have been on for the past several decades. This is a good thing. We are growing. We are evolving. We are participating in taking what we have learned about the workings of the world, the interconnectedness of all systems, and seeing the bigger picture, how we fit into the whole. So, in the end, we've come full circle as to what our wild world is about, opening our minds to the whole picture, and that we are on the cusp of a major paradigm shift that combines our science, religion, faith, humanity, morality, and the essence of life to decide what part of the whole we as individuals want to be, and how we'll go about our myriad functions, the daily parts of the whole that is each of us, toward a whole that works and functions for the success and continuation of life. We are at a turning point. We can see the road that led us here, and we can see the cliff where this road is taking us. We can see the other roads that lay before us everywhere we look. We can continue on as whole reductionists, thinking just about one aspect of getting to the future, or we can be holistic. We can include a larger scope and scale of magnitude in our thinking. There is nothing easy about living and making choices. If it were, we wouldn't even be here today. Like disregarding the warning signs that tell of unsafe ground and danger ahead, our reductionist paradigm is leading us like lemmings off the edge of a cliff. It's time to rejoin the whole and reevaluate whether the means of our reductionist paradigm are really justifiable when one considers the whole. And staying within this paradigm will lead us toward the end of the line, or can we be flexible to see outside the box, to shift and incorporate what our reductionist teachings have taught us? That it is good to know how things work, but after a while, are we just Alice in Wonderland and tunneling ourselves deeper and deeper into the rabbit hole? Or will it be enough to shift to beat the paradigm? I prefer to be an an optimist, that we are shifting toward a whole vision for each of us, the world we depend upon, and the other beings we live with. Once we realize that there are practically an infinite number of whole organisms inside a whole functional system, that our definition of whole has been enlarged to encompass everything. 
that what we say and do, or don't do, has a ripple effect all around us. One pluck of the spider's web sends the whole structure singing and vibrating. And there are any number of myriad interferences or natural happenings that can happen at any point along the way. For the better, for the good, for the ill, and for the benefit of the whole or just the individual. If you are a reductionist, you believe that everything in the world can be understood if you understand all its component parts. A holist, on the other hand, believes that the whole can be greater than the sum of its parts, and that holism does not oppose reductionism. In fact, holism encompasses reductionism, just as each whole we've discussed encompasses its parts. That's the entire debate in a nutshell. But this debate has been one that has been fought among philosophers, theologians, scientists since antiquity. But as we see throughout history, and especially today, choosing one paradigm over the other leads to very different approaches to our fundamental tenets of discovery, medicine, commerce, politics, and life itself. The choice is ours. The hope is that these thoughts and insights will encourage you to choose wisely for your health and well-being for the next generations and for the entire whole of the planet. The most important thing we can each do today is to change one aspect of our lives, the way we eat and the way we interact with each other, and look at our current paradigm that monetary wealth equals health. As we encompass new information that evidences that there are other models that are more beneficial to us and to our planet, that is, our continued survival, and we do this one person at a time. Eventually, policy will begin to shift. Industry, deprived of our consumer dollars as we have chosen health over ignorance, will necessarily shift. And thus, one by one, we will have shifted the paradigm, transforming our society as a whole. If you are interested in learning more about how to live in a holistic world and more about the concept of holism, there are volumes upon volumes that speak to the truth of this paradigm, its shift, and how to transform ourselves. The emergence of this cache of excellent resources of collected knowledge and information for direct public access from the researchers and the scientific community is due to the simple fact that we are changing paradigms. A holistic perspective is not new. Holism is millennia old, from humanity revering nature and worshipping it to the objectified organized belief systems that we have created today. It is from our narrowing and reductionist shift over the past many decades that it is now difficult to see the shift from our top-down policies and from the inside. It is now time for the bottom-up movement, individual to individual, and we will see this shift happen. I've mentioned previously some excellent resources that fully help understand the connectedness of the whole and what we were talking about today, and I think it's well worth mentioning them again. One book called Zubiquity, uh, I'm sorry, I forget the author's name, but it combines the wholeness of not only uh, physical and human medicine, but that with uh, what we have learned through animal and veterinary medicine, and by combining these two uh, aspects of the same coin, we get a whole uh, new vision of what medicine can be and possibly cures. There's another excellent book by T. Colin Campbell called Whole, Rethinking the Science of Nutrition. 
There's another called Ignoring Nature No More, edited by Mark Beckoff and uh, an anthology of collected authors. Another Hope Beneath Our Feet, another anthology of collected authors that uh, help us find avenues and ways toward shifting our mind from out of this paradigm that we've been on for the last 50 years to a new one that takes in consideration of the whole. Another excellent book is The Bond by Lynn McTaggart. And from the truly scientific perspective, Trophic Cascades, Predators, Prey, and the Changing Dynamics of Nature by John Turborough and Dr. James Estes. All of these do fit together. I know it sounds like they're coming from left field and uh, have nothing to do with each other. But as you go through them and read and start looking at all the whole parts to our whole system, you'll start to see the interconnectedness and that nothing is really coming out of left field. And speaking of transformative and whole opportunities, I'm headed back to Wyoming next week for the 2013 Jackson Hole Wildlife Film Festival. So, to whet your appetite and toggle your brain, one of our projects, the public service announcement and short film, The Elephant in the Room, which we uh, aired last week and previously, has been nominated as a finalist for the Best Short Short at the Jackson Hole Wildlife Film Festival and the Grand Teton Awards. This is a nature film equivalent to the Oscars, honoring the top films selected from over 900 category entries. This year's entries included 540 films entering more than 900 categories to compete for... 23 special awards, and uh, more than 100 international judges screened an aggregated 2,500 hours of film in order to select the finalists. <coughs> I will, excuse me. I will be attending the five-day festival in Symposia and interviewing live next week, September 23rd, Lisa Samford, the executive director of the festival, and will be uh, getting further interviews with delegates, colleagues, and keynote speakers, two of whom, uh, one is Daphne Sheldrick of the David Sheldrick Wildlife Trust and... Uh, uh, excuse me, um, National Geographic filmmakers and residents Derek and Beverly Joubert. With hundreds of delegates, filmmakers, wildlife researchers, NGOs, and national and international news agencies, Our Wild World will bring you the latest news and events about our wild world and the wildlife and environmental conservation aspects that make up a lot of what we will be seeing over the near future in terms of public access and information from research. So be sure to tune in next week as we are live from Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and the latest from the world of nature film and filmmakers. The festival is internationally recognized as the premier event of its genre, an unparalleled industry gathering of more than 600 broadcast and media stakeholders, writers, leading scientists, and conservationists. They converge from around the world to hone skills, explore emerging technologies, and market opportunities, network with professional associates, and honor notable achievements within the industry. So, speaking of the whole and coming from the wild cons- wildlife and conservation perspective, I will be uh, right in uh, right in the middle of everything that I absolutely adore, and uh, will bring you more aspects of what makes up the whole. In this case, the whole of wildlife conservation research and how that will affect. Uh, what we do, how we see the whole, 
uh, how we go about shifting the paradigm from where we've been over the past 50 to 100 years, reducing everything down into its parts and creating a complete society around the production and selection of parts as opposed to um, looking at the whole. Uh, many people, one reason it's difficult to see the whole in today's world is because uh, there's no profit in it. There's no profit in whole foods. There's no profit in being healthy. So it is up to us, each of us, to have this choice, to um, make this choice, to think about the whole, our place in the whole, and the whole of the world and universe and life around us. And uh, I'd say it's a time that we... Get on board with the paradigm shift to a new way of being and interacting with each other, within our communities, and within our wild world, our whole world. So, that's it for today. Uh, thank you for listening, and be sure to tune in next week, live from Jackson Hole, Wyoming, from the Jackson Hole Wildlife Film Festival. Thank you, and this is Ellie Weiss. Thank you again for joining us this week. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of Our Wild World with your host, Ellie Weiss, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think about living with wildlife during the coming week and what you can do right now. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 